Father. This is the time, Father, of refreshing from the Lord. Father, we have come today, Lord, because we honor you. Father, we're not looking to the right or to the left, but we're looking within ourselves today. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and in us and through us, God, as we come pressing into you. You have a word for us today. Holy Spirit of the living God, empower me by your spirit. For I can do nothing without your power, Lord God. For all of this will be nothing unless you breathe, unless you move, and unless your fire comes, God. So, Lord, we welcome your fire today. We welcome the power of the spirit For without it, we're nothing. So Holy Spirit, have your way in me. I decrease that you might increase. That your will will be done today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as I said last week, uh, we have been dealing with the issue of prayer. And uh, we're going to be dealing with prayer for the rest of the month. And how many of you want your prayers answered? How How many of you want to... To be able to, to know that when you get on your knees, that God is going to respond to you in faith. I see you, brother. But, you know, let me tell you something. Last week, we talked about praying in God's will. And if you didn't get that CD, you want to get it. Because we talked about the foundation of prayer. And the foundation of prayer is obviously to be praying in the will of God. And so what you and I do when we seek God's face, we are seeking God's will. When you ever hear people say, I am seeking God, I am seeking to understand what is it that the master want to do in me today. Because when we can find God's will, we are in step with God. And I guarantee you, I don't guarantee you, the scriptures guarantee you that you will find success and God will answer your prayer. And so today we're going to be continuing with prevailing prayer. That's what we're talking about today. Prevailing prayer. Now, as we talked about the will of God and and how important it is to pray in the will of God, there is some things that God requires of us. And so we're going to talk specifically about, as it relates to prayer, we're going to talk about the hindrances to prayer. Because how do we know that there are some hindrances to our answered prayer? And some of us don't really know what they are. And the reality of it is that you and I just can't live any way that we want to live, put God's word behind our back, take God's word for granted, and then expect God to answer our prayers. God is a holy God. God wants to answer our prayers. The Bible said, God says, listen, call unto me, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. God delights in answering our prayer. But the reality of it is that there are some hindrances that we got to deal with. And so today, as we go into, as we go into this, my prayer is that you will listen very, very carefully. Because the principles that I'm going to share, there are seven of them, seven principles that I'm going to share with you today that is going to help you get your prayers answered. Because every one of you And you know it, you want to be able to believe, you want to have all full assurance, be fully persuaded that when I call out to God, God is hearing me. Because I don't want to spend hours in prayer, and some people do that because they don't fully understand. They spend hours and months and years praying about something, never realizing that there's something that's hindering the blessing. And they can't figure out, why isn't God answering my prayer? So we got to deal with this thing. And, you know, you hear so much talk about, oh, just believe God and and just have faith in God. 
But how many know that's good, but there are some conditions that we must meet. There are some conditions to our prayer, our prayers being answered. And God has a protocol. And it's important that we respond and that we come to the throne of God the, the way that God wants us to come. How many know that you just can't come to God any old kind of way? That God has a protocol. God has a way in which we are to approach him. And so we're going to talk about some of those things today. If you will, turn to James chapter number four. James chapter number four in the New Testament. A familiar passage of scripture. We hear about it all the time, but this is a very, very important principle. Like I said, we got seven principles here. And the first principle we're going to deal with is wrong motives. Now, remember, we're talking about hindrances to prayer. And I tell you, this is going to be a, a, a powerful message today. And I really believe, and listen, not because I'm standing up here speaking, because I'm going to be preaching to you the infallible word of God, and there's life in this thing. And it's going to change you. Hallelujah. So the first thing is wrong motives. Let's look at James chapter number four, verse number one. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask. And look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Listen to this. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. Now, what does the word motive mean? Well, motive means Motive is a need or desire that causes one to act. It is the driving power behind a thing. So whenever you and I come before God, the first thing that God sees is our motive. God, the first thing that God recognizes is, why is it that you are coming to me? Why are you coming and approaching me in my courts? Why are you coming to pray to me? What is the reason? Because how many know that the Bible says that all things are naked and, and wide open to the eyes of him to whom we have to do? God sees everything. God understands our thoughts. God knows you better than you know, than you know you. God knows your thoughts before they ever even come into your mind. And so what God sees is our motive. Now, there's a difference for an example. There's a difference between manslaughter and murder. One of the things, as a police detective, I deal with prosecutors. And one of the things a prosecutor always wants to know is, what's the motive? They, you know, we find somebody dead, like we found someone dead this week. They want to know, once we find the guy that did it, they want to know what was the motive behind what he did. Because motive is going to determine how they will punish or prosecute the case. And so, and so what happened is, God himself, he looks at our motive because that is going to determine whether or not we're going to have our prayers answered if our motive is not right. You see, manslaughter, for an example, manslaughter is when, let's say, two people get into a fight and one person falls and bumps his head and he ends up dying. That's manslaughter. Now, but if a person goes to the store, he purchases a weapon, he 
he maps out his escape routes. He do all those different things, and he buys the weapon, and he goes to the house, and he pulls the trigger, and he shoots someone. Guess what? First-degree murder. You see, the motive is different. And so one of the things, the prosecutor comes to me and says, they said, what is the motive behind what they did? And God says to us, what is the motive behind why you are coming to me? Because that is the very basis by which our prayers are going to be answered. He says here, he says, you ask and you do not receive. Well, why don't you receive? Because you are asking with wrong motives that you may get this, that you may spend it on your pleasures. God is not obligated to answer prayers that are selfishly motivated. God doesn't answer prayers if we come and we are thinking all about ourselves. Now, to be selfishly motivated means to be concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. When you and I are praying before an almighty God, if we are selfish in our prayers, God does not hear that. One of the things that we got to understand is that God loves people. You remember Jesus came, the Bible says, look, Jesus said he came to give his life, a ransom for many. He gave his body. He came to serve, not to be served. God is always interested in other people. The blessing that you have is not just for you. If God blesses you and I, it is not just for you. God always have in mind other people because God loves people. And when you and I are selfish in our orientation, if we are selfish with our petitions before God, God is not obligated and will not answer that prayer. Kind of like what my wife just said a moment ago. She talked about giving out of your sacrifice. Even though sometimes it's difficult, but how many know that that's the best time to give is when you're lacking? I found that to be true. That is the best time to give is when you're lacking because you're making a statement to God that, God, I am going to honor your kingdom first and foremost, no matter what, God, even though right now I need this, I am going to sacrifice. And we're saying to God, God, show yourself strong. God, meet my need. And the problem with so many, with so much of the body of Christ is that oftentimes our prayers are selfish. It's all about me, 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 getting what I want. It's all about me. And God will not receive that. He says, you're asking me, but I'm not giving it to you. Why, is, why aren't you giving it to me, God? What's the problem? Because you'll just, you just want to spend it on your own pleasures. And so it's a hindrance. To our prayers. Turn with me to uh, to First Kings. Those of you who have your Bible, First Kings, chapter number three. Solomon was a great king in all of Israel. God made Solomon the wisest man that ever walked the planet. Solomon assumed the throne of his father David because David has since died, and Solomon now has become the new king over the entire nation of Israel. The northern and the southern kingdom has come together. Solomon now is the king. Solomon is seeking the face of God. And I want you to listen to this, uh, listen to this passage of scripture and read it with me because it's absolutely powerful. Now we're talking about praying and having the right motive and not being selfish in our prayers. Look at verse 
uh, look at verse number 3 of uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father, except he sacrificed and burned incense on high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Now, I want to stop right there for a second. I want you to think about this for a moment. Here it is. Solomon is seeking the face of God. God comes to Solomon. God says, Solomon, basically paraphrase, what do you want? Just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. If God was to come to you, you don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about it in your heart because this is going to show you where your heart is. If God were to come to you and say to you, ask me what you want, I'll give it to you. What would you ask of God? Would it be more money? A bigger house? A lot more cars? What would it be? What would you ask God for? Would it be things to advance his kingdom? Would it be for more souls? Listen to what Solomon did. This is wonderful. Now, then Solomon, verse 6, then Solomon said, and here's Solomon's response to what, God was, to, to what God said. You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he has walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. See, he's dependent on the Lord. He's humble. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for a multitude. So give your servant, here's what Solomon asked God for. Out of all the things that Solomon could have asked of God, listen to what he asked of God. He says, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And look at verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and not and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has There has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. Get this, people. This is awesome. Here it is, Solomon. He asked the Lord. Lord, he says, Lord, here's what I want. Out of all the things that he could have gotten, he says, God, here's what I want. I just want to be able to. To judge your people righteously. In other words, what does Solomon have on his mind? 
the, th- the same things that God was concerned about, Solomon was concerned about. And, when, and listen, and the Bible goes on to say, that listen, the Bible says that when God heard Solomon's prayer, the Bible said it pleased God. And God said to Solomon, he said, Look, listen, Solomon, you know what? I'm not only going to give you wisdom, Solomon. He said, but what I'm going to do, Solomon, I'm going to make you the wisest man that ever walked the planet. And not only that, Solomon, you didn't ask me for riches. But guess what? I'm going to give you all that. It's the principle of the, of, of, of the kingdom. Solomon was more concerned about people. And if you and I want to be effective in our prayers, we got to listen. We got to think outwardly, get outside of ourselves. Because Solomon was kingdom-minded. And whenever you and I are kingdom-minded, then we're going to find that our prayers are going to be answered. Why? Because we're thinking about the things that God is thinking about. Are you with me? And when we are thinking about the things that God is thinking about, God will answer our prayers. Solomon hit it right on the nose. Solomon said, God, I just want to care about your people. God said, bam, that's it. That's what I want to hear. So what was his motive? Solomon didn't want anything from God. But here's the thing. You know, the Bible says to seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. When you and I make the kingdom number one, God will give us the other stuff. God said, Solomon, I'm going to bless you beyond your measure. I'm going to give you stuff, Solomon, that you didn't even ask for. I mean, no, that's some good stuff. Praying according to the will of God. And so we need To watch our motives. You see, motive is oftentimes overlooked. You know why motive is overlooked in the body? Because people are more concerned about what other people think about. That's why people don't think much about motive. But the problem is that God is the one who answers prayers in the first place. See, the problem with trying to please people, (laughs) people can't answer your prayers. (laughs) The only one that can answer your prayer is almighty God. So then if God is the only one that can answer my prayer, then I need to be concerned about what God is concerned about. And God is concerned about our motives and why do we come to him in the first place? And so we need to examine ourselves and think about the motive. Test your motive. How do you test your motive? David said, Lord, test me, try me, look into my heart. And if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the path of righteousness. David constantly before the Lord, he said, he said, Lord, test my heart because I know that I might miss it. Show me, God, if I'm missing it, show me. And so God will reveal to us what our motive is for why we're praying what we're praying. Many believers have been praying and believing God for stuff for a long time and God has not moved because perhaps, I'm not saying automatically, but perhaps the motive was wrong. And if the motive is wrong, then God is not obligated to answer that prayer. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Why do I want this job? Why do I want this position? Why do I want this material possession? Why am I asking God for this? Because If it's all for the glory of God, it's okay, isn't it? If your goal in life is to please the Lord, it's okay. But see, this is the ingredient. It's not about a formula. It's not about just saying a couple of magic words and God is just going to answer our prayer. It's about learning what it is that he wants and then coming in agreement with it. Then we'll find 
that we would be much more successful. So we got to deal with the, the issue of our motive. And then what is another hindrance of our prayer is an unforgiving spirit. Turn with me to Mark chapter number 11. Mark 11. Hallelujah. I think I'm turning all by myself. Hallelujah. That's okay. Hallelujah. Mark chapter number 11. And we're going to start at verse number 23. An unforgiving spirit. Now, this is critical. This is important. Because a lot of people don't realize that perhaps the reason that your prayers are not being answered is because you're harboring an unforgiving spirit. In Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and it reads, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, all things, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. We like that part, don't we? But then look at verse number 25. Whenever you stand praying. Oh, come on, somebody. Y'all come with me, okay? Come with me. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you of your transgressions. Now, wait a minute. It seems like Jesus is talking about two different things. Because first he says, listen, have faith in God. Whatever you ask God, just believe in him. Just believe it and you'll have it. But then he comes, then he comes with this, this curveball and he says, but now, wait a minute. But... When you stand praying, you need to do one thing. You need to forgive. Now, I've heard people say, well, pastor, you don't know what sister so-and-so did to me. I will never forgive them for that. I've heard people say that. I mean, you don't understand what that man did to me. You don't understand what that woman did to me. You don't understand what those people did to me. Therefore, I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot forgive that. I can't do it. We have the same thing even in our, in our nation with African-Americans, for an example, who says, I cannot forgive Caucasian America for what they did to me. I can't forgive them for it. I can't forgive what they did. But then we go in church and we stand and we give God the wave. Let me say this to you. No Christian that has been, listen, Blood-bought believer has any business walking with a spirit of unforgiveness. Are you kidding me? All the things that Almighty God has forgiven us for? Think about yourself. Think about how nasty we are. Think about all the things that we did. And God pulled us up and he accepted us into into his kingdom. He forgave us of all of our sins, not one or two. God wiped the slate completely clean. God said, every sin that you ever committed in your life, I've put it behind me. And now we're going to harbor an unforgiving spirit. And then we say, God, why are my prayers being answered? If you're walking in an unforgiving spirit, it's going to hinder your prayer. He says, whenever you stay in prayer, forgive. 
Well, you don't understand. I can't do that. Well, you know what? You can't get your prayers answered the way you want them to. I mean, it's, a cho- I mean, it's black and white. You can't have it both ways. Either we're going to obey God or we're not going to obey God. See, a harsh or vindictive spirit toward others hinders our prayer. It says over in Hebrews, it talks about don't let a root of bitterness spring up and defile you. And you know what? The thing that what does unforgiveness, who does unforgiveness hurt the most? When somebody walks around in an unforgiving spirit, who does it hurt the most? There you go. Yourself. When you and I walk with that spirit, we're the ones it hurts the most. But see, I cannot control what Jonathan do, for an example. You see, I can't control what Jonathan do. If Jonathan decides that he don't want to forgive me for something, then that's on him. But you know what I, you know what I need to do and what I can do, though? I can control what Gary does. And God requires each one of us to forgive. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about wanting our prayers to be answered. We're talking about hearing God and having God to move and answer our prayers. And an unforgiving spirit will kill it every single time. And what an unforgiving spirit does is it disturbs our fellowship with God. You see, if I have a problem with a brother and our fellowship is disturbed, then what usually happens? If the fellowship is disturbed, there's no what? Communication. And if there's no communication, things are just kind of left there to what? To fester. So it is with God. When we walk with an unforgiving spirit, it disturbs our fellowship. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about your fellowship with God. And when there's no communication, listen, the prayers are not going anywhere. And so, When you're praying before God, if God convicts you and you know that you haven't forgiven someone and the Holy Spirit has been asking you to do it, I want to give you some advice. Forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean, well, well, Gary, are you saying I just got to be a doormat and let people walk all over me? I'm not saying that you have to be a doormat, let people walk all over you. But I want to give you an example. What did Jesus do? When they beat him, they spit in his face. All Jesus did was came and did good to people. He healed them. He blessed them. He gave to them. He gave his life. And they beat him. They persecuted him. They did all these things to Jesus. And you know what he was able to say in his moment of destiny when he hung in on that cross? You know what he was able to say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That scripture is powerful because at the moment when Jesus had every reason to say, Father, Look, I've come down here. I've given myself to these people. And God, guess, you know, I can't go this far. These people, they they don't hear me. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus forgave. And so we need to deal with the issue of forgiving because an unforgiving spirit will hinder our prayers. And then number three, then worry hinders our prayer. In Philippians, and I want to turn there, Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4. Talking about worry. Worry has the capacity to hinder your prayers. You may say, well, Gary, what do you mean? How does worry hinder our prayers? Glad you asked. I got an answer for you. 
Rejoice in the Lord in verse number four of chapter four in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be worried or be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. But in everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, don't forget to be thankful when you're going through it, because the tendency is when you're going through a difficult time, you tend to focus on the problem, and we don't give God the praise, and we're not thankful for what God is doing. That was free. Let your requests be made known to God. And look at verse number seven. And the peace of God. How many of you can stand God's peace? Hallelujah. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about worry here for a second. Because worry has the capacity to drain you. Anybody ever been worried about something? You've been so worried you know, and usually what happens when a person is bogged down with worry, then they're, they're so focused on the worry that the worry becomes bigger than their God who can fix the problem. Instead of focusing on the one that can fix the problem, we are focused on worry. And see, the thing that you and I must do and we should do is replace prayer with worry. Did I say that right? Replace worry with prayer. See, I just want to see where you're all listening. Somebody's listening to me, Dana, hallelujah. Somebody's listening. Replace prayer with worry. So the next time, here's what you do. Because I bet you, if I were to ask you, how many of you spend more, listen, what do you spend more time doing about your problem? Do you spend more time praying about your problem? Or do you spend more time worrying about the problem? Most people, if they're really honest, they spend a whole lot more time worrying about their issue, whatever it might be. Here's what you do. I'm going to challenge you to do something. I do it in my own life. I got reminded today or this week in a fresh way because I'm teaching this sermon. But the moment that you begin, you feel the worry comes on. Come on. This worrying spirit, you start, you know, the devil start telling you, oh, you're not going to make it. Oh, you're not going to be able to pay that bill. Oh, this situation is not going to work out. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Oh, when the devil comes to you that way, here's what I want you to do. The minute you sense it, start praying. Start praying. Devil comes to you and reminds you, well, you know, brother, they're going to, you know, you ain't going to make it, brother. You know, this thing ain't going to work. You're going to die. You ain't going to make it. Okay? Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you said that you will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that you are with me. I thank you, Lord, that you've given me power to trample over the authority of the enemy. You see, Lord, I thank you, Lord. Here's what they're saying to me. Here's what they're doing to me. But God, I thank you, Lord God, that you've given me power. I thank you, God, that you are strengthening me. I thank you, Lord, that you're with me. I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to make it through this. You see the difference? I am not focused on worry. I am focused on the one who can fix the problem. But oftentimes what we do is we just start worrying and we worry and we worry 
And how many know worry drains you? Because when you worry, now how does it relate to prayer? When you worry, one of the last things that you want to do is pray. You know why? Because you want to try to figure it out in your own finite mind, how am I going to get through this issue? You're trying to figure it all out. Okay, how can I do this? You're adding up stuff. You're adding up the numbers. It sucks the life out of you and robs us of our joy in the Lord. And then when people come, that's why sometimes it's hard to get people to get enthused about praying because they've been bogged down with the cares of this life. Why? Because we have chosen to allow the situation and problem to dominate our life. Listen to me. People get so worried that worry become their idol. Bow down and worship worry. Oh, worry, good to see you today. I worship you, worry. That's what we look like in the spirit. When we're so focused on worry, worry dominates our life. And God, and God is saying, listen, God is saying, don't you not understand who I am? Do you not remember what I said? Do you not know that I created the heavens and the earth and the nations are like a drop in the bucket to me? Do you not understand that I own the cattle on a thousand hills? Do you not understand that I raised my son up from the grave to demonstrate to you for all time that there is no power that is greater than me? Do you not understand? Have you forgotten who I am? So prayer. When you and I are bogged with worry, we can't pray effectively. Don't allow worry to be the God in your life. You let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And when that spirit of worry comes, just begin to pray. I challenge you, soon as you feel it, just begin to pray and begin to declare with supplication, with thanksgiving. And then here's what he says. But get this. Say with me. Here's what he says. He says, when you and I bring this thing before God, whether it's a relational problem, whether it's a financial problem, whatever the problem might be, he says, then the peace of God will come. But when does the peace come? The peace comes when you and I decide to give it to God and not let worry dominate our lives. And all of us, wants, all of us want God's peace. And so, we got to be careful not to allow worry to get the best of us because it hinders what God want to do. Number four, we're moving quickly here. Number four, improper husband and wife relationship will hinder your prayer. Oh, Lord. What is he talking about now? He can go messing up my marriage. All right, here we go. All right, look at First Peter chapter number three. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. I'm going to make somebody going to get upset at me now because I'm messing around. But, you know, I'm messing around in my own marriage, too. Because <laughs> whatever I say, I'm more accountable than you are. Hallelujah. Look at First uh, Peter chapter number 3, verse number 7. You husbands, you husbands, you husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means learn them, learn their mannerisms. Learn how they think. Get to know that woman. As with a weaker vessel. Doesn't mean that she's inferior, but what it means is that she's delicate. Anybody got any uh, expensive kind of like 
items in their home, like a vase or something, and, you know, you got some kind of delicate item that, like, nobody can touch. You put it, like, in this cabinet, and you put a glass, and you kind of lock it up, and then every time you hold it, you hold it gently because it's delicate. See, that's, that's what a wife is like. When it says a weaker vessel, it's not saying she's inferior. It's saying that she is delicate. You're to honor her. She is a woman and grant her honor. Why? Because she's a fellow heir of the grace of life so that, here it is, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Whoa, wait a minute. God is saying that if our marital relationship is not right, if there's strife in our marital relationship, if there's discord, God says that our prayers will be hindered. Now, why is he talking to husbands? You know why, husbands? Because God called men to be. Now, this is not a, a, a message on, on marriage. I did that many months ago. But God expects men to be the leader of their home. And so God says to the husband, because we're the leads, he says, listen, listen, you're to cover her. Because how many know the men, we're covering for our wife. We are their protection. We cover them. We, we listen, we, we, are, we, we honor them. We care for them. He says, because if you mistreat her, he says, guess what? Your prayers are going to be hindered. I've known people that treat their wives like a queen in public. A man but get behind closed doors, talk to her like a dog. And then we think that God is going to answer our prayers. People think that. He says that your prayers might not be hindered. Honor her. One writer says, the size of the injured wife come between the husband's prayers and God's hearing. So if our marital relationship is not right, it has the capacity to hinder our prayer life. And men, because we're leaders, and we have to cover our wives, it's very, very important that we treat our wives with honor and respect. Why? Because she is a daughter of Abraham. She don't really belong to you, not really. God, listen, God let us men have our wives for a little while, don't he? But, but they really belong to God, just like you and I belong to God. They are precious in God's sight. And God says when we mistreat them, he says, you know what? I don't hear your prayer. Don't, 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 don't come to me. Because you, you got to get that right. God, why, why are my prayers being answered? I mean, I did everything they said. I have faith. How about I have a little bit of obedience? That might go a long ways. So we got to deal with that. So men, we are called to honor our wives, that our prayers be not hindrance. How many know that that's the word of God? Like it, love it, lump it, leave it. Hallelujah. Do what you got to do with it. Then, number five, Lack of persistence is another hindrance to prayer. How are we doing on time? We gotta, we gotta close this thing down. Lack of persistence in Luke eighteen one, and I'll turn there real quick. Just stay with me for a little while longer. We're almost done. Luke eighteen, verse number one. I'm gonna read quickly because we gotta go. Now he was telling them a parable in verse number one of Luke chapter eighteen. Look at this. This is awesome. 
He was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus now is about to share a parable with the saints so that they might pray and never, ever give up. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect men. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling, but afterwards, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by her continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them? Now, he's not saying here that God is saying, well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to answer your prayer. I really don't want to answer it, but because you keep coming to me and I'm just going to go ahead and just give you what you want. That's not what he's saying there. In verse number one, he says he's telling them the parable so that they might know that they ought to pray and never lose heart. See, one of the hindrances to our prayers is that when you and I don't get a response quick enough, people give up. They give up on the prayer thing. Well, you know, I tried that. I mean, I've been praying for this for five years. I hear something, I've been praying for this for a couple of days. God ain't moved. Then you get upset, don't want to pray no more. But see, there are a lot of reasons why prayers may not come or be answered in the way that we want them to be answered. You remember Daniel. The Bible says that Daniel, in the Old Testament, that Daniel had prayed to the Lord. The angel told Daniel that, look, he, Daniel had got this revelation from God. Daniel had gotten a revelation from God, and Daniel was trying to get understanding on that revelation. And then the angel said, well, Daniel, from the first day that you prayed, I heard your prayer but there was an enemy in the spirit that, that, that hindered me from coming to you. So 21 days later, the answer comes. And what I'm saying is that sometimes there are demonic forces that are at work hindering you or hindering your prayer from being manifest or answered. You ever heard people say the, the phrase, um, you ever hear people say the phrase, uh, they talk about, uh, uh, I got to pray it through. You ever heard that? I got to pray it through because in, what they're, in essence, what they're really saying is that, look, there are some hindrances and I need to pray through it. Because sometimes the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. But one of the things that we must never do is give up on prayer. Whether it means that we're praying and then God speaks to us and tell us, okay, that there's something, you know, that you need to change. Or maybe there you're praying outside the will of God. In any case, we should never, ever give up on prayer. Jesus told him this parable to show that no matter what you're going through, no matter how long it takes, don't give up on God. Oftentimes our prayers are hindered because we give up, we stop walking in faith, and we don't believe God anymore. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if, that we're, if it's impossible to please God without faith, then I need to operate in faith and not to give up in my prayer life, but to keep Believing God. And then number six, misplaced prayers. Now, what do I mean by misplaced prayers? Matthew chapter number six, and I'll turn there. Matthew chapter number six. Verse number one, beware 
Verse 1, I'm sorry. Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your right hand know what your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that, you, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is in, done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. When I say misplaced prayers, what I mean is that when we come, when there's one or more and we're in a group of people, that's when we try to impress God or try to impress people with our prayers. One of the things that God, listen, the one of the things that God do not like is when you and I are trying to impress other people in our prayer. You see, the Pharisees, they would stand there and they would pray, you know, oh, Lord God, you know, use all the perfect language. You are great and awesome in all of your ways. Hallelujah. You are undaunting and you're omniscient and, omniscient and you're omnipresent. You are all powerful and all wise. God. Yeah, and people walk away saying, wow, they can pray. They can really, did you hear that? I mean, they can pray. How many know if, if that prayer was to try to impress people, God don't hear that. God is not interested. How are you going to impress almighty God? How can you and I impress God with anything? And so listen, when God offers, listen, when we offer our prayers to God, we should not be, listen, we should not engage or involve ourselves with trying to impress people. See, the Pharisees, whenever they gave something to somebody, you know what they would do? They wanted everybody else to know it. Oh, look what I gave. Look what I did. Look what I did. And God said, no, I'm not hearing that. Because God says, if you do it in secret, I'll reward you openly for what you did. If you do it in secret, I'll reward you openly. So trying to impress other people with our prayers. And that's why I say to people, for an example, you know, I hear people say to me, well, you know, I can't, I can't pray and I don't want to come out, you know, because such and such can pray real good. Let me tell you the prayer that God honors. God honors prayers, listen, that are not trying to impress people, but prayers that are given from the heart. You can take an individual that knows all the language, you know, because some of us, we've been in church for a lot of years, and we can say all the right things and all the the right words and all the Christian lingua. We can do all that. And here a person comes up who don't really know all the Christian language or who cannot, maybe perhaps, you know, never have any real experience with prayer, they come to God and they offer God their prayer and they say, well, you know, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to pray, but God, I just need some help. God, I mean, God, because what is God looking at? Your heart. So, God, you know what? I'm in trouble. You may not know what else to pray, but God, I need help. How many know that God hears that? You see, the Pharisees, they were all about trying to impress people. And God don't, God is not involved in that. 
Because when you and I try to impress people our prayers, who are we praying to? And this is the second point. We must remember to whom we are talking. You see, prayer is not a time where we try to teach people. You ever had, been in situations like that where you have people that are praying, and, and while they're praying, they're trying to teach people in their prayers? The Bible gives us a, 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 an ingredient in how to deal with that. That if we have problems, if I have a problem or concern with Dana, if I have a problem or concern with Maria uh, or Jonathan, then you know what I'll do? The Bible says first go to your brother and sister in private and then come back and offer your prayer. And prayer, are not, prayer time is not a time to try and teach anybody. Prayer is not a time to try to, to try to, you know, people get upset and then they want to use prayer as an opportunity to manipulate and all these kind of things. This is not what prayer is all about. Prayer, when you and I are praying, the thing that you and I must remember is to whom we're praying. We're praying to God. So it really doesn't matter what other people think about our prayers. It doesn't. Because you know what? I am praying to God. And what God sees is our heart in our prayers. Amen? And then in conclusion, turn with me to Isaiah chapter number, glory to God, Isaiah chapter number one. And we're going to end with this verse and then we're done. Did I go too long today? Okay. Are y'all getting anything out of this today? Good. Thank you. It's good to be encouraged a little bit. Let's let you know that somebody's listening. But then let's, let me get through this part, and then I'll ask you that question again. <laughs> I'm teasing. Unconfessed sin is another hindrance to prayer. Now, first of all, before I read this passage of Scripture, I want to preface it with this. God is not saying or looking for perfection. He's looking for a willing heart of obedience. Unconfessed sin means that we are obstinate in our sin and we choose not to repent and turn to God. So then if we live a life of obstinance toward God, then that hinders our prayer life. And so when we talk about unconfessed sin, it is an unwillingness to turn to God, repent, and walk with him. Now, the thing that God wants us to understand and realize is that sin, God is very, very serious about the issue of sin. And if you're not going to have an effective prayer life, we cannot walk in sin and disobedience to God. And then think that I can just come to God and God is going to hear my prayer. We can't do it. Look at verse number uh, uh, Isaiah. I'm just going to read this and I'll be done. Isaiah chapter 10. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter number 1, verse number 10. And it reads, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of your God or of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the bulls, in the blood of bulls, lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, this is God talking. Who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. 
Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon. Festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. In other words, you got a lot of sin in your life and you're not dealing with it. And what God is saying is that you can pray to me, multiply, do whatever you want to do. But he is saying there that I do not hear it. I don't hear your prayers. But listen what he says in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. In other words, simply put, just stop sinning. Learn to do good. Do whatever you got to do. Go to a conference. Read the Bible. Read books. Pray. Do whatever you got to do. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphans. Plead for the widows. Then verse 18, here's the balance. Because here's the spirit of God. Listen to what God says. He says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. In other words, God is saying, I know you've blown it. I know you've been operating in sin. You haven't listened to me. You've disobeyed me. But, but come to me. Come. Let's, let's reason. Let's get this thing right. Because how many know that God wants to be intimate with us? God wants to answer. I've said this before. God wants to answer your prayer more than you want it answered. He loves intimacy with us. He says, come, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, deep red, they're, they're, they're obvious sins. They will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. Glory to God. If you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is very, very serious about the issues of sin. And what we talked, to here, talked about here today was a lot of hindrances and different kinds of sin that can hinder our ability to be able to hear from God in such a way that God answers our prayers as we've requested them. But God wants us to know that he is serious about the issue of sin. And if you and I don't deal with this issue of sin, then we cannot have an effective prayer life. So when the Holy Spirit comes and says, you need to get this right, don't resist. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't resist. Get it right. He says, come. He says, come. Let's reason. Come on. God is a diplomat. He said, come on. Let's, let's get this thing together. Let's do it right. Let's, let's go on. Let's, let's come. I know they're bad. I know you've blown it. I know you've done some horrible things, but, but come to me. Come on. Let's get this thing right. I love the Lord for that. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.